Welcome everyone to Political Wellness Episode 2 with my friend, my mentor, my board member, um, and pioneer in this field, Kitty Colbert. I'm so excited to have you today, Kitty, for this conversation on political wellness. Thanks so much, Erin. It's great to be here. So as many of you know, I am Erin Velarde. I'm the founder of Vote Run Lead. Um, Kitty is, I've known Kitty from almost all of, all, I would say all of my uh, professional career. Um, I was a board member of the White House Project when I was an intern and then got hired. Um, and so really consider Kitty um, a personal mentor and um, someone who's really helped to set the strategy at Vote Run Lead. She has been talking to me about the importance of state legislatures for uh, probably longer than she should have before I actually took the strategy to heart. So um, we're gonna dig into that today. As many of you know, we put you on the email, Controlling Women is Kitty's new book, and it could not be any more relevant than right in this moment, what we must do now to save reproductive freedom. Um, and we, we provided a short bio, but Kitty has been in front of the Supreme Court, not just once, but twice. She, uh, she, she argued Casey successfully, KCB Planned Parenthood in 1992, almost 30 years ago, um, and is a unique and the right voice right now to, I think, Kitty, not just talk about some of the, um, you know, reproductive justice and abortion rights right now in the moment, but how do we, what is the connection to a healthier democracy? What is the, con like all of this coming with like voting rights, voter suppression, um, you know, the control of women's bodies, these things are deeply connected. And I, I hope today you'll make some of those connections for us. Um, but first I want to hear about the book. I want to know, um, you know, why do we need to, it's the definitive history. Why do we need to know where we've been um, in order to go forward? And what do you think are the key moments in this history around abortion rights that we need more folks to know and understand? So Aaron, thanks so much. It's really great to be here. I'm thrilled that uh, you guys do so much to change the uh, uh, look of state legislatures, because in my view, that is the place we need to be. Uh, but I think what the, the history tells us is that we have been in a precarious state for a very long time. Mm -hmm. When I argued Planned Parenthood versus Casey, at that point, we thought that there were five votes to overturn Roe. Right after my argument, the justices voted and actually uh, voted to overturn Roe. But that opinion was never filed because Justice Kennedy changed his vote at the last minute. But what that tells us about now is, do we, or the question we need to ask is, where are the five votes to uphold even the more limited rights that we won in Casey? I don't see them here. And I think our strategy over the last 30 years has been save row, save row, save row. And I'm tired of hitting our heads against those marble staircases. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a winning strategy. At the current time, there are five votes there may be six, but there are at least five votes to either so diminish the rights we now have or overturn them altogether. Uh, and that means that the question of the legality of abortion will go back to the states. Mm -hmm. And that's a very depressing picture because 27 states today are controlled by the Republican Party, which is anti-choice. And that means controlled. I mean, they, they have the governor's seat. They have both legislatures. And that means they can do anything they want. There's not a whole lot you can do to stop that except raise noise. Yes. And so that may mean, and you know, just in the, the bottom line on this is within two years of the court uh, doing what I think they will do, uh, we will see the elimination of the right to choose abortion in at least 
half of the states in this country. And that uh, means we've got to have a new strategy uh, to win back the power uh, that we need. And I, so let's talk a little bit about that. I think there are a couple of things in front of the court right now. There are, there was, you know, new headlines today around um, the, the governor in Kentucky, right? And the sort of signal from the court that they were, they were potentially aligning there. Can you give us just a brief update of sort of what is in front of the court? And um, that would be just helpful for our watchers, our viewers. Well, the, the quick news is the case before the court this week is pretty minor. So let's it's really about who can represent the state of Kentucky uh, before the court. So let's let's put that aside. Okay. The two critical cases uh, and actually uh, are the ones that are coming out of Texas, which are challenges to SB8, which is a law that, in my view, is probably the most egregious uh, in in uh, egregious example of controlling women that we've ever seen. And there, what the state did is they banned abortion uh, from as early as five weeks. Uh, and uh, they gave the enforcement power to individuals right. who can sue doctors or anybody who helps doctors or, or women uh, to obtain abortions. Um, and abortions are both surgical abortions and medication abortions. So really the most pernicious law I've ever seen uh, coming out of a state. Right. But the worst is that despite lower court rulings that were fairly uh, willing to stop yeah. the law from going into effect for, a, for the time being, uh, the upper level appellate court and the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has allowed that law to take effect. What does that mean? No more abortions in Texas. That's right. just the bottom line. And the second thing it means... And I say this all the time, uh, winning in the Supreme Court is a lot like Sesame Street. You need to know how to count. And the only number that's important is five. And there were five votes in the Texas case to yeah. permit the law to go into effect. So that is our handwriting on the wall. Those five votes will stay firm in my view. Uh, there may be some back and forth temporarily. But the second case that's before the court, which is a Mississippi case, it's a yes. challenge to a 15-week ban on abortion, is being argued on December 1st. And that case gives the court the opportunity to not just allow states to ban abortion in Texas, but to allow states to ban abortion throughout the country. Um, and that is much more, much more dangerous. So Texas is the red herring. Mississippi's the ball of wax. Mississippi's the big, the big yeah. Yeah. kahuna. Um, and there they have an opportunity to overrule Tate Casey, overrule uh, what's left of Roe, and uh, permit the states to ban abortion at any stage that they want. And frankly, I think they're going to do so. Uh, that's why we wrote this book, because right. we thought they were going to do so. Um, and um, what we need to do is to build the political power to make sure those states don't implement bans. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, I think what we're seeing at the state legislative level are these these real extremes. Right. You have places uh, where, you know, and we can directly see this as it's the, you know, more younger women, more women of color in the legislature, more left leaning, more progressive on women's issues. Um, you know, those states are putting in protections. Right. Uh, states where we see legislatures that are overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly conservative are putting in some major restrictions. Um, and so, so Aaron, ahead, just yeah. uh, be clear here, the states that are banning abortion, uh, the women that are affected are not women of means. 
Okay, women of means always got abortions, even when they were banned. So the people that are most affected are low-income women, uh, women who live in rural areas, women who um, are young uh, and find themselves pregnant, uh, women who are disabled. And disproportionately, those women are women of color. Right. And the other really important fact here is the 27 states I talked about, they're not scattered around the country. Yeah. Right? They're in certain areas. So in the South, we're likely to see pretty much every state ban abortion. Well, what does that mean? That means that the women who live in South Texas have to go to Oklahoma or to Kansas or to California, which is not an easy thing to do. Right. So again, right. the travel uh, restrictions or the, the difficulties the cost. of right. the cost will right. be prohibitive for so many women. And I mean, I think this is one of, this is, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I want to honor that. I don't want to discount that in any way. And, and I, I want to also like, we, we know the individual impact, right? Because we've been here before. We, we know the pattern. We know the women that are going to um, need additional support. You know, we know the sort of networks are going to have to kind of flourish back up. You know, um, you were briefing our board. You talked a lot about um, the, the medical advances that have happened around, um, the abortion pill, right? And the ability to maybe get that online, but that's a, a, a mess in and of itself, you know? Um, this, this, these sort of, this issue coming up at the same time that our democracy is, you know, being attacked quite literally and figuratively in, in, in public policy are not, it, it is not a coincidence, right. right? And so I think I, I would love to hear your, you're sort of understanding. I mean, this is why I love the title of the book, Controlling Women, right? It's not actually about the, um, you know, rearing our children in super healthy and vibrant societies, because if it was, you wouldn't see all this crap around our democracy. So these things are connected. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about um, just in the, the your history, what you've seen around these intersections of our sort of democratic health, um, the role and autonomy that women get to then play in the democracy. Um, and, and, and why you see these things as connected as well. Well, so Aaron, I'm, I'm a little older than you. So I started in the days that the, for example, the Pennsylvania legislature had one woman. Um, and then when we finally got three women elected, uh, they didn't have a bathroom on their side. They were into the Senate. They had yeah. to go out to the public bathrooms. So we had to have a demonstration to get a bathroom for the women senators. I mean, this has been true that women have been excluded from the political process and political leadership for years. And we are now starting to, to, to see a change very much thanks to groups like yours. Um, but let's be clear here. The abortion issue is not about religion or it's not about uh, protection of fetal life. What it's about is controlling women's lives and decision making. And they, the, the, our opponents only want certain kinds of people to have families, white, heterosexual, wealthier uh, people that they think are upstanding citizens, except for the rest of us. Uh, and the rest of us uh, want to have children and families as well and deserve the ability to do so. And the question of abortion is not really just about abortion. It's also about childbearing and child rearing and who right. can do that. Um, and so we need to be very protective of that. What we've learned, it's about political power. And the way you control political power is not only uh, passing laws that make it more difficult for us to function in society, but to control who can vote 
control who can be in leadership, control yeah. what those party lines look like, uh, yeah. control uh, a whole the whole political apparatus to ensure that women, people of color, uh, LGBTQ uh, people, everybody who is disempowered in our society has no ability to take back power. And frankly, I'm tired of it. We need to change that. We need to make make a change. And as we think about, um, you know, even when I started in this work 20 years ago, when we think about, <clears throat> I mean, we, we, there were groups, you know, Republican Women for Choice, Pro-Choice Republican Women's Network. Um, I think the control over the narrative also that there are, you know, that this is a, a sort of right-left issue um, has been, you know, usurped, right? We know from research, 70% of women, if not more, it's like seven out of 10 people, I think, men and women, you know, trust women to make their own decisions about their own lives. And there doesn't feel to be any room right now for some of these voices. You know, we know them. They're they're now saying they're independents, right? They're not identifying. You saw Christine Todd Whitman's uh, op-ed in the uh, New York Times just this weekend about, you know, having to cross party lines because and, and support truly and vote in a different way. Um, how do we, and this is a question I grapple with at VRL, how do we, you know, how do we make room for those women to, because it's not worth it. The cost benefit ratio is not worth it for them to sort of step out right now to have that voice in the same way that they did late nineties, early two thousands were integral bipartisan legislation through these women's caucuses in the state legislatures, which we also know dwindled. So give us a little insight on um, how do, how do we create space for, um, you know, allyship with women on the right who are with us on this issue? Yeah, it's difficult because in order for them to be true allies, they've got to support what we support. And that means they have to buck their own leadership right. um, because the leadership of the Republic Party, Republican Party is overwhelmingly anti-abortion. And they will not ever let uh, a pro-choice Republican survive. They'll either... Right. Uh, They'll either gerrymand their their district to take them out, or they'll run somebody against them, or they'll just keep them out of uh, having a functioning role. So we need to change that. Um, and I think you know, giving uh, pro-choice uh, candidates of all flavors yeah. some support is really important. But again, uh, I am of the view, and I think it's it's important is who's in leadership is critical. So. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is in leadership has to be pro-choice. Today, that probably means a Democrat. Uh, hopefully, at some point in the future, uh, it could yeah. be either a Republican or Democrat. But even in the good states, the Republicans are unfortunately anti-abortion. Uh, the thing is, though, Aaron, you keep saying, well, it's related to democracy. Voting is a women's issue. Let's, let's be real clear here. Voting and voting rights are women's issues. We can't regain political power unless we have a fair voting system and right. one that uh, allows all of us to participate. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, running running for state legislature, right? That's a do now. Um, I, you know, we know that that that's that's why you're part of the political wellness series, right? Um, you are you are on message for VRL. What else are you seeing? You know. Uh, what are the actions? What can what can people do? How what to feel like not so powerless? You know, uh, to feel like they've they've got some control over what's happening. Well, so first and foremost, like skip the courts. 
right? If you think that the, the courts are going to save us, think again. Let's get active and busy where the real power is, which is either at the state legislatures or in Congress. Yep. Um, and those are the races you need to pay attention to. Yep. And you need to pay attention in a whole lot of ways. You can give money, you can canvas, you can write postcards, you can uh, you know, text, you can make phone calls. All of those things matter. And our opponents have been doing it for 40 years and they're good at it. Okay, So that the first thing is get politically active in races that make a difference. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about running for office, think at all levels, because if the uh, pro-choice people control the voting apparatus in your county because they're on the county council or they're on the, or they control the, what the curriculum for local schools because you're on the school board, yes. all those races matter, okay? Yeah. And state legislatures do as well. I'm of the view that new people to office ought to be very careful about what what races they pick because we don't want them to knock off uh, confirmed Democrats who could win. So primarying people who are likely to win, in my view, is not the best strategy unless that person is really, really bad, and particularly if they're anti-abortion. Uh, but uh, because there's a, you know, what did you say? I think vote uh, run lead has, what, 6,000 positions of political uh leadership that are up for electoral, uh, up for the elections. The second thing is you got to, voting is not just every four years. Mm -hmm. Voting is every six months. Yeah. And in every state, in every state, there is something that matters. I'm from Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, is electing a new justice this term. There's hardly anything else on the ballot, but the Supreme Court justice position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. State, uh, Supreme Court members can establish rights that the federal courts don't do. Uh, members of Congress, members of the Senate, all those are critical races. So I think we need to be very careful about how we spend our political energies. And frankly, if you just get active, I don't care what you do, but you got to do something. Yeah. yeah. Sitting on the couch is no longer uh, an option. Uh, getting involved. And frankly, I love the Run 51 campaign that you guys are running to try to turn state legislators, uh, legislatures 51% women. That's right. a great, great strategy. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd love to see that in more and more states because uh, we need the help. Yeah, absolutely. How do we think about, um, you know, one of the other headlines I think today that I saw was, you know, folks, women, young women crossing state lines, um, you know, for, you know, as I'm explaining some of these things to my nieces, right, um, who, as I'm thinking about, you know, just young women in my network, right, they they don't have the history that you have or the knowledge that I might have about um, the way the women's community really creates these, you know, um, more or less underground networks, right, of support. Um, but it, what do you, you know, how can women help other women in some of these states that you're seeing what we know are, you know, quote unquote, trigger laws. Um, so talk a little bit about trigger laws. And then if that does happen, how can women, um, you know, make sure that the folks in their networks know some of the resources that will be popping up? Okay. So in my view, we're likely to see the court in the Mississippi case permit states to ban abortion again at some stage in pregnancy. So bans will take effect. In 10 states, there are what are called trigger laws, which means at the moment that Roe and Casey are overruled, they take effect. Um, and uh, we are then 
you know, uh, abortion is a functionally banned in those states. Mm -hmm. There's other states that have already passed bans. So it's probably more than 10 where we're going to be fighting over whether the ban's operable. Um, but again, I think what's important is not the specific laws in those states, but who holds the power in those states. So in my view, the 20, where there's 27 bad states, we've got to elect a good governor so that they can veto the bad laws. Uh, and then uh, elect a, a legislature uh, that is um, at least mixed, one one chamber right. being uh, yeah. controlled by a pro-choice people. Right, right. These trifectas but, are hurting us everywhere, yeah. Everywhere. And that's hurting us on voting rights, they're hurting us on, uh, on abortion. Uh, but let's be clear here. This is not a strategy that's going to work overnight. If you want to win overnight, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. The anti-abortion groups started in 1974 to implement their strategy. So it's been 40 years and we need to do the same. We need to have short-term goals and long-term goals. And it can't just be, you know, we work for this particular election cycle and then go home. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, it's why we remain nonpartisan, right? It is not, these are, these, the idea that this is a political football between parties. You know, I, I, I remember a time I started in this work where there were, was greater diversity around um, views and conversation on the topic of women's reproductive rights. And it was a clear connection that women on the right were able to make between their own ability to lead and their own ability to make choices about their bodies. Right. And the, so there's um, it, it's yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm what I was just saying is one of the reasons we wrote this book was to give people a sense of the history and to give people a laundry list of things that they could do. This yeah. is not, we, we can't just be pessimistic here. We have to yeah. feel like we can make a difference. And there's lots and lots of things that we can do. And one of the things that we can do is to start thinking about this issue as not just terminating yeah. pregnancy, but the rights that allow women to choose pregnancy and the conditions that have to exist in order for families to be successful. So we talk about policies around family and medical leave and contraception and uh, childcare and all kinds of ways that legislators can help uh, help uh, women make decisions and help families make decisions and frankly help pregnant people make decisions because it's not just women that get pregnant anymore. There are some trans people that, that can become pregnant. So um, we, we want to pay attention to all of the variety of families that are out there and support them all. Right, right. And I think, you know, as we look at the, you know, this, this, you know, trillions of dollars for Build Back Better, right? Like people know what that this big Build Back Better bill costs a lot of money. What they don't know is some of the, you know, new um, feminist policies that have been put in around childcare, around pre-K, around this investment in, uh, child rearing, right? Um, so if there are questions, I just, I did get a ping. Sorry, I mean, Kitty, are just chatting away. Um, but if there are some questions, feel free to put them in and they'll, they'll either come across the screen. Great. Um, okay. So we do have a question from Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Um, what is the likelihood uh, in DC um, to come under fire if the House majority changes? Uh, if they control uh, yes, very likely, even likely, even if it doesn't change because our opponents have always pushed the envelope. Uh, so there will be a fight over the Hyde Amendment, for example, 
the uh, Biden administration for the first time in 40 years did not include the Hyde Amendment in the budget submitted to Congress, but we'll see a fight over that. Uh, we'll see fights over all kinds of things. Obviously, the voting rights issue in D.C. is the one that's uh, the most uh, important over the long term to, to make sure that in this year of, of reapportionment, uh, that we have some rights to maintain our anti-gerrymandering uh, in the states. But yes, uh, the, the House and the Senate are critical. Maintaining yeah. democratic control is very critical. But let's not lose sight. I mean, I have uh, unfortunately been in this political sphere too long that everyone wants to pay attention to the U.S. Senate and nothing else, or the presidency and nothing else. Yeah. Again, we need to pay attention from the top to the bottom of the ticket. Uh, yeah. Even school boards are important. Well, what do you think, let me do a follow-up question to that. We saw, you know, we've seen some mayors, uh, a lot of black women mayors, you know, really take some of that executive control when they're seeing things that have come through at the pandemic. Do you feel like there's an opportunity for say a DC mayor to um, exert some control or to at least, you know, set some different precedent around the executive leadership there? Well, absolutely, and particularly as players in the political process, that's the right. most important role they have. Um, but for example, some states, in some states, some cities have created abortion funds that would pay for women traveling from Texas, for example, to Austin, mm -hmm. yep. pay for women to, to the travel costs to have abortions. Uh, it's harder at the local level because there's a lot of state laws that uh, limit what they can do. Yeah. Um, but again, changing the narrative, yeah, right, right. That we are for that. This isn't about uh, religion or protection of fetal life. This is about controlling women, making sure that people understand what's at stake, uh, being allies to their state legislators, uh, making sure that the, the mm -hmm. acts are drawn well and, and any influence they can have on that process uh, are all really important things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sarah Angevine's asking, do you think the persistent anti-choice political pressure um, is coming from the strength of the anti-choice interest groups or coming from elected leaders who sort of can rev up and turn out their voters? Where, where do you think that sort of source of power is right now? Because we know it's not in the numbers, right? We know it's the 70% plus that is, you know, that trusts women. Right. So, um, Sarah, nice to, nice to see you. And um, I think this is a question of saliency. To those who are opposed abortion, who oppose abortion, the importance of the issue in all their other issues is really high. They will vote on that as a single issue. And mm. Democrats aren't really uh, able to, don't want to do that. They have a lot of issues they care about. And they, uh, so abortion is not quite as salient in their, uh, in their thought processes. The second piece is I think one of the, the key voting blocks in this 2022 is going to be suburban women who came out for Biden and who voted Democratic for the yeah. first time. They didn't, uh, they were Republican. They're basically Republican. And in off-year elections, they tend to vote Republican or for state legislatures, they tend to vote Republican. If we can make the abortion issue and child rearing and child care and helping those women be economically self-sufficient. I think it is, you know, are we for them? There's a real opportunity to increase the saliency level of those voters and make sure that they switch parties. 
That's great. That's interesting. Thank you. I think we have one more question because I know we only have until 12. Great. From Amber. How? That's awesome. Thanks, Amber. How do you recommend youth activists becoming more involved and informed with this line of work? And so I'm going to do the shameless plug so that you don't have to do the shameless plug um, on, you know, reading the book, number one. I think that is really critical because I do think even as I'm going through it, Kitty, I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, and I consider myself pretty well informed. And so, um, number one, I would say pick up this really pivotal book that you and Julie FK have written. Um, but what do you think, you know, for, for young women who this is the first time they're sort of stepping into this, right? And it's a, a lifetime fight around our autonomy, our leadership, our, um, our, our agency, right, as citizens in the U.S. How do youth activists get more involved in this issue and how do they make these ties across some of these issues? Well, I think, Amber, thank you for your question. It's really important. And yes, having young people involved is absolutely critical. And there's all kinds of things that you can do, as we've talked about being involved in the political process, helping women, protesting, uh, or not protesting, but uh, doing uh, clinic defense work, uh, all kinds of things that you can do on the helping side or the political side. But also, in my view, using this as an opportunity to educate your peers. Yeah. Because the reality is, is you've always had the rights that are about to be taken away. Uh, everybody younger than me, I'm 69, everyone younger than me. I was in college when Roe was established. Okay. So people younger than me have always known or relied upon uh, reproductive rights as a federal constitutional right. So they don't, young people don't remember the days before Roe. Young people don't remember what it's like to not have autonomy over your decision making. So using this as an opportunity to educate your peers and to get involved both in the political process and the protest process is really important. And let me just say one more thing, which is um, young people are really creative. And the news media loves conflict and loves creativity. So the way to send a message is often much stronger from people like you than from old fogies like me, because you have a, a, an energy level uh, that uh, the, 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 the press loves. Uh, you know, let's take the example of the young woman in Texas, who um, Paxson Smith, who yeah. her, you know, her uh, valedictorian speech at graduation to uh, call out the issue of abortion. Let's think about the women dressing, young people dressing up as, as handmaidens at the state legislatures or who are, you know, protesting lying down in the state capitals because their lives are, are, are at stake. We need to up the creativity, up the energy level and up the, uh, just the open resistance. Yes. Uh, that uh, we haven't done for a long time. I want you to make me look like the middle reasonable person. <laughs> um, that. That, uh, the only way I'm going to do that is if you are really out there causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah. The John Lewis said it all, you know, it's good trouble and we need to make it. Well, thank you so much, Kitty. Thank you everyone for your questions. I, um, this is, you know, Again, get the book, Controlling Women, What We Must Do Now to Save Reproductive Freedom by Kitty Colbert and Julie F.K. Um, it's on Kitty's bookshelf. It's on my bookshelf. If you're doing book clubs, it's a great, let's let's do it, right? Let's get these conversations started. Let's up the ante, as Kitty said. Let's make Kitty look like the reasonable middle person, uh, uh, you know, the old the old fogey, if you will. Um, ne never in my eyes, Kitty, never in my eyes. You have a lot of creativity. 
um, and, and good ideas for days. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just so honored to have you as a part of this, a political wellness, and um, appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Aaron. Love to be here. Got it. And next week, we are talking with State Representative Joyce Mason. Um, it's also, I think, 12 o'clock, yeah, 12 o'clock on October 20th. Um, single mom who, you know, decided to take that plunge uh, in, the, in the past couple of years and run for the legislature. And she's been able to do some really amazing things. Um, and I, I'm just psyched to have sort of that perspective of a, a mom in office who is juggling a lot and still able to get some critical legislation passed in Illinois. Um, so join me next Wednesday, 12 p.m. for Political Wellness with my friend Joyce Mason. Thank you, everyone. I'll see you there. Bye.